Great to have you on our outdoor gathering Sunday. Uh, the Lord is good to us in terms of weather, so we thank him for that. And uh, we have hopefully more shade than last year, although anyone in the sun, hopefully you will last. Oh, there's Harlan. All right. It's going to be good. Um, I've been away for a little while, so I'm especially glad to be back on this Sunday. Uh, we had a great time uh, away as a family, but uh, very excited to be back here. I want to thank uh, the staff for just handling things so well while I was gone, and especially David and Tim for covering the pulpit so faithfully. Uh, it's great to be away and know that things are taken care of, and to come back and to be able to worship together is, is so good. Uh, today we are going to be in Luke 17. So if you have a Bible or an app, you can open that up. Uh, also, if you have one of those lyrics uh, packets that you got, the welcome package on the very back, I think there's all the details for the sermon, including the points and the sermon text and the things that we're going to be going through. But I'd like to begin just with a word of prayer, and then we'll see what God has for us this morning. Uh, Lord God, we are thankful for the beautiful weather. Thankful, Lord, for the opportunity to gather here together. I pray, Lord, that... This would be uh, a joyful time. This would be uh, a time of, of strengthening of our faith. Uh, Lord, not just because it's, it's beautiful and we get to be together, but because uh, we know that you speak through the Bible, through your word. And as we give our attention to it, we know that you will be speaking to us. And so I pray for everyone here, Lord, for those who are guests here with us, perhaps those uh, for whom, Lord, uh, they're just not believers, but they're interested. God, I pray this would be a time where you do a great work in our hearts and minds. And Lord, you bring answers to the questions we have about life. And so I pray, please, that you would use me in spite of my own sin. And Lord, that your spirit would move amongst us in a powerful way. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to begin this morning, as I said, Luke 17, uh, starting verse 7. Uh, but just before we get there, uh, I want to I begin by highlighting uh, something that I think is a, a fairly common character flaw in I would say most human beings, probably most of us, struggle with this to some extent. And that character flaw is a desire for recognition, right? We as human beings, I think, seem preconditioned to want praise and affirmation uh, for everything we do. We love, we love ribbons, right? I love ribbons, gold stars. Uh, we like certificates. We like trophies, even when they're not, you know, real. There's plastic, but we display them anyway. They gleam. They speak to something that, that we did. Even, uh, I've noticed, even when we've done something that really isn't much of an achievement at all, we still want some sort of recognition. I noticed this. Uh, when we got back from vacation, I, I posted some video, you know, about our holidays. And I found myself uh, throughout the day looking to see if anyone liked those postings, as if I had somehow accomplished something just by going away on, on holiday. I wanted some, some likes, some hearts, some comments. That's, that's, that's us, I think. No matter what we do, big or small, we're really hoping that someone notices and pays uh, attention. Now, you might say, uh, you know, why is that such a bad thing? Is that necessarily a flaw? Because, you know, isn't it a good thing for us to encourage each other? Isn't it, isn't it a good thing to notice what each other has done and maybe even reward someone when they've worked hard? And, of course, the answer to that is, is yes to a certain extent. I mean, if you're memorizing times tables or Bible verses or doing chores, it's a good thing to be rewarded. We all like that, especially when we're young. But, but there's a real danger in this kind of desire for recognition when it comes to our faith. Okay, so here I'm speaking to those of us with faith, those of us who would call ourselves Christians. The problem 
is that we start to think uh, that the good things that we have or the good things that we've done uh, somehow earn us some sort of favor or points with God. We very, start, we very quickly uh, start keeping lists of the, of the kind of good things that we've done in our Christian life. And we can easily forget that the source of all of our faithfulness and goodness is not really in us at all. So in our text this morning, uh, Jesus takes a moment to remind his disciples and to remind us about some key truths that uh, I think are going to be hard for us to hear, but are so very important for our faith. And that is that we are recipients of grace and that we are here to serve our King. And Jesus makes this very clear uh, by describing what would have been a pretty familiar situation back then for the audience he was speaking to. He's speaking about a master and a servant after a long day's work. So that's, that's the setup for text. It's only four verses, uh, beginning in verse seven. So here's our text this morning. Jesus says, Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me? And dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. That's God's word to us this morning. And really, if you look at the text, Jesus basically asks three rhetorical questions, and then he makes a point at the end. So I'm going to just rephrase the questions and then answer them how the people of the day would have been answering them in their head. You know, they would have, everyone would have thought the same thing. So for example, question one, Jesus says, look, if you were a master and you had a servant and it was the end of a long day, would you invite that servant to sit down at your table and eat with you and feast? And everyone there would have in their mind been thinking, no, no, no one, no one does that. Servants are servants. They, they don't relax at the table with the master at the end of the day. They're the ones who serve the meal. Second question, Jesus says, would you instead tell them to get dressed and to make dinner for you and serve you as a master? And everyone there would have in their mind been saying, of course. Yes, of course, that's what I would do if I was the master. Because that's, the, that's their role. They're there to, to serve. And question three, Jesus says, would you then thank the servant for doing all of that. And everyone in their mind, maybe some of them said it, no, no, you don't thank a servant. That's, that's their job. That's, that's what they're doing. Now for us, in our day of gold stars and ribbons and trophies, um, I think this sounds pretty harsh. I mean, probably some of us already were like, Jesus is saying you don't say thank you to people? Like what is, of course you say thank you. How rude. Even it doesn't matter who's serving you. I'm going to say thank you when someone does something for me. But remember, this is the first century. Life was a lot harder back then and the culture was a lot different. Uh, Jesus here isn't making a point about gratitude. Okay, there's lots of verses about we should have thankful hearts. We should be thankful all the time. That's not the point here. The point that he's making is that we all have a role to play. And as Christians, we need to be crystal clear about who we actually are and what our lives are actually about. We are not the masters. We are the servants. We have a job to do to serve God as our master. That's, that's the very point that Jesus makes in verse 10. I'll read it again. He says, So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, 
you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. So that's our first point. Just two points this morning. The first point is going to be the bulk of our time, and it is this. Just a rephrasing of verse 10. We are, as Christians, we are unworthy servants with a duty to serve God. Now, if you're new to Christianity, if maybe you're invited as a guest, uh, that may not seem uh, like a great recipe for life. (laughs) To be an unworthy servant, to serve God, um, even if you've been a Christian for a long time. right? You you may uh, be unsettled by some of that language. It feels harsh, especially that word unworthy, right? To be an unworthy servant. Now, we should be clear what Jesus means and what he doesn't mean. When he says unworthy, he doesn't mean uh, unwanted. He doesn't mean unloved. He doesn't mean without value. What he means is without merit. So you can think of it like if we were uh, applying, you know, for the role of a disciple of Jesus or like for a role in God's kingdom, uh, by ourselves, on our own, we, would, we wouldn't have anything to put down on our resume. Like we wouldn't have any achievements, any character qualities, anything that we could take and present it and say, look, I really think I'd do a good job as your disciple or as, a, as whatever it may be because we are sinful people. We are sinful creatures. In us, there's no, there's no moral goodness. There's no integrity, no wisdom, no status, no righteousness. No accomplishments that would give us any merit before God. To which, you know, you might, there may be part of you that says again, look, Matt, again, that sounds really harsh. Like this is your first sermon back and it's the summer. We should be encouraged, but it's like the fourth time you've called us all, like basically we're nothing. It's, I mean, we can't be that bad. There's part of us that wants to argue back, right? In fact, you might be saying, look, Matt, I, I could be actually a lot worse than I am, frankly, And we might all be able to say that. Plus, if we're believers, there's some good things that are happening in our lives probably, right? We've been faithful, obedient in some areas. We we pray, probably read the Bible. We're we're pursuing things like peace, patience, kindness, all of those good things. We're serving in the church. You might say, look, I know I'm not perfect. I'm not an angel, but I don't know that I'm like a devil. Am I? Like, is that what this is saying, what about all the things that I do in the church? I mean, I've been in Sunday school. That is trying. Have you been there? It's, it's crazy. What about all the, the tithing, the praying? I mean, see, this is the challenge for us, right? Even as believers, as a part of us that still wants recognition, that still wants all of that to count for something. In fact, it's hard for us to see past the, the veneer of external goodness to the, to the true nature of our heart, who we really are. We're, honestly, we're not partners with God, right? We're not valued members of team Jesus. Even, even with all of our good deeds, we are rightly characterized as unworthy servants. Why? Because, because apart from God's grace, our hearts are treacherous and corrupt. Even in our good deeds, even the good things we do are laced with, with pride and selfishness because there's a part of us is always thinking, like, I wonder if someone's noticing me doing this. Is anyone taking note? Is God aware of what I'm doing? This isn't new. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah uh, speaks about this in Isaiah 64. It's on your sheet. I'll read it. He says this. He's speaking to God's people at the time. He's saying, we have all become like one who is unclean. He's talking about us in our sin. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities 
Like the wind take us away, there is no one who calls upon your name, speaking to God, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and you have made us melt in the hands of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. See, Isaiah is saying there, look, on our own, like just our own hearts, we are unclean before a holy and righteous God. Compared to his moral purity, our righteous deeds, even the good things we do, are polluted with all sorts of of, uh, iniquities is what it says, right? Things like self-interest, pride, and greed. None of us really worships God the way that we should or obeys God with pure motives. And our only hope, what Isaiah is saying, is the grace and the power of God himself that he will mold us into genuinely holy people. So we, we are unworthy servants. Everything we have, we all depend on the grace of God. We don't really bring anything to the table. Now, this is a pretty basic Christian teaching. This is, this is what, if you read through any parts of the Bible, you will see this to be true. But I think even for those of us who have heard this a lot, it's difficult to accept It's difficult for us to keep this in the forefront of our mind, which is the reason why Jesus is saying this to his disciples. He knows it's easy to forget who we really are and what the real source of our righteousness is. In our pride, we we want the focus to be on us. So before we go any further, uh, I'd like to ask a couple questions just to help us to see if this actually is a problem for us personally. I mean, we all have different challenges, different sins, some more than others. So the question that we should be asking is, is this... Is this something that I struggle with? So here's a couple of questions I think might help us with this. Question number one. When you tell stories about your life, do you have a tendency to show yourself in a positive light? Like when you're just telling stories about what you did yesterday, what you did the weekend, just in general, the the stories that you tell about the things that are going on in your life, if you strip away all of the details, all the circumstances, are those stories actually kind of just about you? Like about how clever you are, how funny you are, how resourceful, how insightful. Is that kind of the point of a lot of, of our stories? Look, I've known, I've known Christians who are very, very godly people in so many ways. Generous, kind, hospitable, vast Bible knowledge. But, but some of them I notice they're always kind of telling stories about, about them. Like about the, about the ministries they're part of the people they're mentoring, how much those people are growing, insights they found in scripture. See, I think if we take to heart what Jesus is saying here, we should, we should note that if, if when we talk, we make it sound like Jesus should be thankful to have us on his team, then there's something off in our heart about our hearts and this text, this, this biblical truth that, that Jesus is teaching here. We should be quick to talk about the grace and the power of Christ in our lives and very careful not to carve off any of that glory for, for ourselves in, in the narrative that we, we kind of spin about, about our lives. So that was the first question. Second question. Uh, do you have the impression that over the years you have somehow earned a God's favor? Now, I think this is tougher to see because none of us would say that. None of us would say, if you're, if you're a Christian, you, you probably wouldn't say out loud or even think, I've earned the favor of God. But I've noticed that this idea can take root in our heart. And, and you can see it, if you look carefully, 
I've noticed it sometimes in the way that we pray. Have you noticed sometimes that, that we pray like this? Lord, I've been faithful for so many years. So here and now, this is, this is a really big deal. Whatever it is, Lord, please hear my prayers. God, I've, I've been obedient to your word. I've, I've served you in so many ways. How could you let this happen? Do you see the dynamic there? Where sometimes we come before the Lord and before we see anything, we're, we're laying the basis for our appeal to God and it has something to do with us. As if God owes us somehow. Do you notice what Jesus says in verse 10? He says, even if, even if you did everything perfectly, you did all of the commands of God, we would still be unworthy servants who are only doing our duty. Now that word duty is interesting. Uh, we don't talk about duty very often. It's kind of unfamiliar. It sounds strange. Like if you were to hear someone talk about duty, duty to our spouse, duty to our country, duty to our church. Uh, duty is basically... It's an obligation, right? That we have to behave a certain way based on who we are. So if we're citizens of a country, we have a duty to honor our country. If we're husbands or wives, we have a duty to serve one another. If we're Christians, we have a duty to serve God. It's not, it's not like a voluntary responsibility or something we choose. It's just, it's, it's, who, it's who we are and so it's what we must do. It's not like a job where we say, I'm going to take that job. I'm going to get this kind of payment. It's just... It's who we were designed to be, which is why we don't earn anything when we do our duty. It's simply us being who we are supposed to be. Like if you think of a machine, a right? big complex machine, and we're the tiny little piece of it, a little cog, right? Just whirring away, that's doing our duty. Or um, an organ in the body, that's how Paul talks about the church, right? That we're all hands and feet and ears, and we have a role to play. And when we're doing that, we're just, we're being the thing that we were designed to be. We don't do it for gold stars. We don't do it for ribbons. We do it because that's, that's who we are. Now, again, you might be thinking, you know, Matt, I'm, I'm not really excited about being a cog, frankly. It just doesn't seem, doesn't evoke a sense of excitement and passion for my life following Jesus, being part of the church. I mean, cogs are nameless, indistinct pieces of metal. They just wore away. No one notices them until they break. They go on for years and years. That's not really how I pictured my life as a Christian following Jesus. What about me? What about my passions and desires? What about all the skills that God has given me? What about all my sacrifice, all the time and effort, all the things I've, I've given? Like, does that not count for anything? Well, to answer that question, uh, I want to turn our attention to a man who is well acquainted with hardships in the name of Christ. Okay, you knew that I was going to bring a missionary, someone who has it way harder than us, right, to try to make this point. So I'm going to talk about David Livingston. You might know that name, Dr. David Livingston. Uh, Silas and I have been reading his biography this summer. He lived uh, in the mid-1800s. He's from Scotland, and he felt a strong call to missions in South Africa. Now, at the time, the African continent was largely unexplored, uh, largely unreached for the gospel. There were a couple of missionary uh, stations kind of near the coast, uh, but most of Africa, especially the interior part, they had not heard about Jesus. And David had a strong desire to venture out into unexplored regions to bring the gospel to unreached people. And that's what he did. He was the first non-African to cross the, the South African wilderness and the desert there. The first one to see Victoria Falls. In fact, he gave Victoria Falls its name. 
The first Christian to share the gospel with dozens and dozens of tribes along the way, hundreds, thousands of tribes people. Some came to faith, some chiefs came to faith in Jesus, but it wasn't easy. He would travel for months in the wilds of South Africa. Sometimes it would be stiflingly hot. They would spend most of their day digging down, trying to get to the water table just so they could have water to survive. Other times in the year, it'd be so wet. There's one part where he described uh, walking for a week in water up to his thighs. And he said at night, there was nowhere to sleep. So they would dig mud into a mound and put grass on it and hope that they wouldn't slide off into the water at night or that crocodiles wouldn't come up. He almost died from malaria more than once. He was attacked by a lion, almost lost his left arm. He was attacked by enemy tribes, by the Dutch settlers who weren't happy with what he was doing at all. They burned his, his house down, stole all his equipment. His family was in danger when they were with him. He lost one child in Africa. But then when he sent them back to Scotland, he was away from them for four years. And, and his wife was miserable there. There was one point when David was so sick that his traveling companions just lay him in a canoe and they just pushed him down the river. Everyone thought he was going to die. But he didn't. And when he finally returned to the UK, it was about eight years after he had left. And to his surprise, he was famous. He was famous. He'd been writing letters back to the National Geographic Society, and they were ecstatic about all his explorations and discovery. Everyone knew his name. Uh, everyone was writing about him in the papers. Queen Victoria wanted an audience with him. Uh, the National Geographic Society had a big uh, gala, and they presented him with a gold medal for his, all his achievements. And they wanted him to speak. And uh, he was a bit hesitant because he hadn't been speaking English very much lately, he said. He's, he's speaking all these African dialects. And so he got up, and here's what he said. I put it on your sheet because these words are amazing. This is what he said to everyone who's like, David, you're amazing, you're fantastic. Look at all you've done. Here's what he said. He said, I am only doing my duty as a missionary in opening up part of Africa to the sympathy of Christ. I am only now donning my armor for the good fight. I have no right to boast of anything. I will not boast until the last slave in Africa is free and Africa is open to honest trade and the light of Christianity. See, that is the response of a man who understands who he is before the Lord and what his role is, even after all He'd accomplished all the sacrifices. None of the time where people talk about a sacrifice, he said, it's not a sacrifice. He said, I'm here to serve at the pleasure of my king. Even with all of the UK saying, you're amazing, write books, stay here. He could have stayed there, gone on speaking tours. He said, no, I got to go back. There's still work to be done. See, even at that moment, he knew who he really was. He was not a great missionary hero, not deserving of rest and recognition. He was a servant doing his duty. He understood what Paul meant when he said to the Corinthian church, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? See, this is what Jesus is making clear in our text. Lest we get confused and lest we forget everything we have is from God. All of our skills, all of our resources, all of our abilities, this life itself, the breath in our lungs, and the deeper things that we truly need, the love and grace and mercy, the purpose of our life, it's all from him. And hopefully, I mean, please, Lord, may it be true of us that there will be a time in our lives like David when we can look around and say, praise God for the fruitfulness, for all that you've done through me, that we have been obedient. But we need to cultivate the humility now so that when that happens, we aren't tempted to steal any glory for ourselves. 
We aren't tempted to, to talk about the things that we've done or the hardships we've endured. See, without him, where would we be? We are truly unworthy servants. He is truly worthy of all honor and praise, and it's our duty to serve him. This is what Jesus wants us to be crystal clear about. But there's another piece to this puzzle. There is another piece to the picture that's tough to see because it's not actually in our text, but it is central to Jesus' teaching about who we are and what our life is about as, as a Christian. So our second point is this. Our second point is that Jesus serves us in humility and grace. Jesus serves us in humility and grace. Uh, the main point of his, you know, little illustration, the servant and the master, was basically, look, servants, servants should never expect to sit at the master's table. That's clearly the, the point. It's presumptuous. It's prideful. It's a lack of understanding about who they really are. So in a real sense, in our text this morning, Jesus means to push down our prideful tendencies as human beings and have us humbly accept our role as servants. This is essential if we are to understand what it means to be a Christian. But it's also essential if we are to truly experience the grace that God has given us in Jesus. See, Jesus only pushes us down so that we would humble ourselves and be ready to receive the grace of God and be lifted up much higher than we could ever expect to be raised up in this world. See, he's already taught his disciples the complimentary message of God's grace. And the interesting thing is that he used the same imagery. So we're going to jump back to Luke 12, which I think we covered last year sometime. Uh, Luke 12, very similar type of a scenario that Jesus is, is describing. He's talking about servants and masters. He's speaking to a group of disciples. It's there on your sheet. I'll read it. Beginning in verse 35, he says to them, look, Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. He's saying, look, be like good servants who are ready to serve the master. Verse 37, he says, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. You see the reverse? See how he switches things up? He, no one would have expected that. Our text this morning where Jesus says, hey, you're unworthy servants, be a servant, that was expected. That's what everyone knew. Servants, they just serve. But Jesus says, actually, in the kingdom of God, you will be served. Jesus will do the very thing that earthly masters never do. He serves us. He invites us to his table. He showers us with undeserved grace and love that's what it says in the Bible. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. This is a picture of the gospel. And notice for the gospel, there's actually two sides to make it work. Two sides that are essential that we see and live out. To the proud, the gospel of Jesus says, look, you need to be brought low. Okay, you are an unworthy sinner, deserving of nothing but, but death and judgment by the hand of God. That is the just response to your sin. When you become a Christian, then you do your duty with humility and contentment, knowing that you were saved, that you deserved punishment and you received mercy. The proud are humbled, but to the humble, the gospel of Jesus says you'll be lifted up. 
Though you were unworthy, you were made righteous in Christ. Though you were undeserving, you've been invited to the banquet table of God. This is, this is the gospel. This is the cross. And both sides are essential for us to understand who we are. For us to have joy and contentment in life. We need, we need both sometimes at the same time. So I kind of think of it like this. Uh, probably some of us went on road trips this summer, drove somewhere. And when we are driving somewhere, especially any length of time, uh, we're always making course corrections, right? Just naturally. Uh, we, if we veer off to one side, we kind of just tiny, minute course corrections. So we stay in the middle of the road. If we're, if we're clear-headed and awake, we do this naturally. And this is how it should be for the Christian, right? If we sense pride welling up within us, if we sense, you know, a lot of focus on us, a desire for recognition, it means we're kind of veering off to the side and we humble ourselves, reminding ourselves, look, we don't deserve any of this. We are sinful before the Lord. He's been only gracious to us and we kind of correct back to the middle of the lane. But on those days when we're feeling very low, when we're feeling overwhelmed with our sin, with the weakness of our character, with all the trials of our lives, and we're veering off in the other direction, we encourage ourselves with the grace and the love of Christ, that he doesn't forget us, that, that, he, that he died for us, and we, we, we correct, we're back in the center of the lane. This is what it means to live the Christian life. But, but notice, this is what we do when we're clear-headed and awake. I'm not sure about you, that's not always what I'm like when I'm driving. Uh, especially for me, it's like three or four in the afternoon. If you know if you're driving, driving up to Whistler last week, Don's like nudging me. I'm, I'm drifting a little bit because it's, I don't know why, it's sleep time. It's siesta time. So, so what have the good people who build our roads installed? They have installed rumble strips on the side of the road, right? You know if you've hit a rumble strip, you're drifting, right? It j- j- jerks you awake. That's, I think, what our text is like today, okay? It's, it's harsh, but it's there because there's some of us that need to wake up. Some of us that need to humble ourselves, we need to stop trumpeting our accomplishments, stop bemoaning all the hardships in our lives, stop talking about the sacrifice of the ministry we ever called us to. We need to remember who we are. We are unworthy servants. We are blessed by the grace of God. We are here to serve with thankfulness and joy. And it is a joy when we see who Jesus is. But the goal is not for us to crash into the other, the other side of the road. It's not for us to be so humble that we find ourselves just mired in our sin, just the darkness. There's some of us who, who've been stuck in that, who feel the weight of our sin to such an extent each day that we never feel worthy, we never feel hopeful. We can't let the sharpness of the words in our text today bring us to a place where we're spinning our wheels in, in the shame of our sin because that's not where Jesus wants us to be. Jesus wants us to be at his table. He he wants us to receive the grace and the mercy and the love and to be exalted with him. See, this is what the cross is all about. That we can see the humility of Christ. That we can see the extent to which he loves us. That he gave everything for us so that we would be brought up out of our sin and that we would reign with him in heaven. We have all the hope of heaven, all the glory of heaven to look forward to. He wants us to receive his grace, be lifted up and enjoy him fully as we serve. And so the two go together. And for some of us this morning, we may walk away from this feeling a conviction and that would be a good thing. That would be what the spirit of God wants for us, seeing the areas of pride, and and sin, but there may be other, other ones of us who need to be encouraged. And I hope that Luke 12 brings you great encouragement 
that Jesus says to us as we serve faithfully, recognizing all the grace we've received, no, come and feast at my table. You're my friend. I love you. And so I hope now as we respond that we are going to be able to do so with joy, that we are unworthy servants and yet we have been made worthy in Christ by his grace and for his glory. Let me pray for us and then we'll worship together. Lord Jesus, we do thank you. We thank you for the extent of your love. We thank you for the way in which you serve us in humility and grace. We deserve none of it. And yet now we have the joy of being part of your kingdom. We have the joy of serving you. I pray, Lord Jesus, for all of us here, for those of us, Lord, who are feeling the twinge of our conscience, Lord, I pray that we would humble ourselves. Lord, that we would not steal any of your glory, but that we would serve you gladly, joyfully, recognizing that everything we have is from you. And I pray too, Lord, if there are those here who aren't people of faith, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do good work in their hearts today. Give them a, a clear picture of what it means to follow you, Jesus. We do so humbly, but we do so with great joy. And we have the hope of heaven. And we have the, the reality of your presence in us and so that we are lifted up even now, even here before we get to heaven. And so now, Lord Jesus, I pray you would be, you would be honored and glorified as we continue on in worship. And Lord, that as a church, we would keep you at the forefront of our minds and our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.